If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hey friend, I am so glad that you are here. Let me tell you, coming into this recording, I am coming out of a lot of human messiness. And I took a couple of deep breaths because my intention with this conversation is full of so much love and so much light. And you know how you're getting ready to jump into something that is required of you. So say you're going to work or you're going to you know, show up for a friend or a family member, but life just kind of gets in the way. Please know that is the moment that I am in, but I am happy to be here because of my guest. You are in for such a special treat on today's episode. My guest is Teddy Z. He's a film producer and executive who's produced or supervised classic films, uh, many of which I am sure you will know, like Pursuit of Happiness, Charlie's Angels, My Girl. Do you remember My Girl? That's a classic from my childhood for sure. Uh, Hitch and also many others. So, but in addition to film and entertainment, Teddy has has built a consulting and advisory practice that spans media, technology, and commerce. His current venture is actually in the NFT space. It's called Mint NFT. So I am absolutely thrilled to have you here today. Teddy, thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to be here and talking about messiness in life. Uh, we're faced with so much messiness in the world right now. It's crazy. Yes, it is. But it is a, a humble reminder that as much as we try to curate a perfect life or we check all the boxes so we do things just right, uh, that life will have its way, won't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm curious, your, your background in film and in entertainment, when I saw the list, you know, through through our, our mutual introduction, our, our friend, Dr. Eugene, I was looking at this list and I am just blown away at how many movies and films are on this list that are so heartfelt, Teddy. I'm interested. How did you get into the entertainment industry? What led you there? Let's, let's just hear the background. How did you get into that space? I think it's really by accident. Uh, we tend to tell our stories in such a chronological, planned out way. But I think there's a higher power at work, whether it's fate or destiny, something happens that pairs us all with what we're supposed to do, what we're gifted at. And for me, it was storytelling. I grew up from a very poor family. They, uh, English was our second language. I learned how to become an American through film and television. I learned uh, how to speak and to be socialized by what I watched uh, on TV 80 hours a week. It was constantly on. So when I graduated from college, uh, I started in human resources <laughs> at a company called NBC. And at the time, this was back in 1979, there were three networks. So I got to work in HR at NBC, one of the three major networks. And lo and behold, I meet the president of the company whose literal job is to determine what America watches, what one third of America watches. And I had always looked at content and TV and media from a consumer standpoint. And it blew my mind that somebody actually got paid 
to do something that could be so fun and so powerful. And so like watching TV. Well, not only watching, but creating TV shows. Yes. Yes. And and uh I thought, you know, my my dad made at his highest level ever, he made sixteen thousand dollars a year. And I vowed I never want to be motivated by money. And here was a chance to enter into a world where passion and storytelling uh, ruled the day. Mm -hmm. And I asked him how he got his job. Mm -hmm. And of course, he went through a litany of things and all this. And all I heard was Harvard Business School. So I applied to Harvard Business School and I ended up getting in and uh Two and a half years later, I come back, knock on his door and say, I'm here. And he says, who are you again? And I said, I'm the guy who you met and you told me to go to Harvard Business School. And he says, I remember I didn't tell you to go to Harvard Business School. I told you I went to Harvard Business School. And so my ignorance and my naivete were both blessings and curses. Uh, I misunderstood him, but it really set me apart and set me on my path. And all I could do was look for a job since I'd already set this plan in motion. And I was really lucky that my first job was as a creative executive at Paramount Pictures. And this was during the era of incredible filmmaking uh, from a very commercial standpoint. The the studio was involved in Beverly Hills Cop and uh, Untouchables and Witness and Top Gun. And here I was as a junior executive uh, learning from the most awesome professionals in the business So I got my start accidentally, really. (laughs) Accidentally yet intentionally because you followed what was pulling you, it sounds like. Did you have any favorite shows when you were younger that kind of shaped you and really inspired you to get into that world? You know, I watched everything. Uh, Literally, (laughs) the, (laughs) the, the TV or the record player was always on. So it's funny, people today are constantly on their phones. Mm -hmm. I'm included. So the equivalent in the 70s and 60s was literally just the television, radio, and record player. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I asked that question because when I was looking at your list of work, it seems like most of the work, if not all, has a very human element to it. The stories, I, you know, again, I'm looking at the list and I'm like, I cried through that one. I cried through this one. I cried through that. I was moved by this. I was inspired. And so I was wondering, does that shape you when you're thinking about saying yes to a project or when you look to get involved in a project, what are you listening to inside? What is the experience of knowing that this is a project I want to be a part of? So, you know, there's no map. There's no strategy that this is, these are the movies I'm going to make. It's all about being opportunistic. Mm -hmm. From a business standpoint, it is, where do I spend my time? What am I betting on? Does this story motivate and move me enough to invest 
two to eight years of my life, even if it doesn't get made, what am I willing to gamble my time and my future on? And for me, it I, I just look back on it and it's a simple calculation. Does it move me? Does it get me excited? Can I retell this story? Will other people, uh, will it resonate with other people? So at, at the end of the day, I'm a... My wife makes fun of me because I I cry at every TV show and film. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So it's really about, I'm not the one that loves action movies. I can appreciate a good action movie. I'm not that into sci-fi unless there's a strong human element to it all. So at the end of the day, I think I just want to connect as a human. I want to be moved. I want to feel And I think the highs and lows. So I think, aren't those elements to a great story? Absolutely. I mean, that's life also, right? right? That That is life. So what do you think is that element that connects us all? It connects us through one another's stories, but it can also connect when we're not standing next to the person or listening to them talk, it connects through different mediums like television or song. Even Teddy, you and I are very much alike when, if I see something, I'm crying, I'm crying through commercials. Um, but I also get very moved by song as well. So what do you think is that human element that connects us all? Well, I'm going to start first by saying what disconnects us, Mm -hmm. right? And what disconnects us is the things that really accentuate the differences in us. So right now, politics is so divisive. It's so polarizing that we no longer look at people as people, but we look at them as parties Mm -hmm. and it's either black or white. Mm -hmm. And I have come to the conclusion in my personal experiences and and dealing with so many different people that it's our differences that connect us. It's our different foods, our different ways we grew up, our different lifestyles, all the things that are what are the details that make everybody actually join us all together because we're all different, but we're cut from the same cloth. And I think if you've ever sat down with strangers to a meal in a foreign country, mm-hmm. everything might seem foreign until you sit around a table mm-hmm. and the f- taste might be foreign, but the family structure is there mm-hmm. and the desire for flavor and comfort and conversation around the table. Those are things that even if they're in different languages, they all bring us together and they're familiar. Mm. So I think it all goes back to sitting around a fire, you know, and whatever you can do around that really joins us together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate that. I think we're in a very unique time as technology continues to just unfold and, you know, take our imagination to new heights and and expose us also to different parts of the world that if you may not travel to it, at least you could still be exposed, you know, through our phones or through a show or what, what have you. And so 
through this, and I remember I heard this quote, I think I even mentioned it with a, another one of my guests, we can see just how beautifully diverse this world is. And it's the diversity of this world that's the strength of this world, yeah. because it really does bond us. And now we have an opportunity to see and appreciate it through these different devices that are so easily held in our hand or in our pockets. Well, uh, I totally agree. But the other thing is, um, I remember when we started this call, you went down my uh, uh, description about me. And if anybody were to hear that, they would think, wow, this guy's got the greatest life and everything's perfect. And it's all about the accomplishments, the, the milestones, the successes. And I think that also builds a wall between people. Because life is not a bowl of cherries. Life is not about accumulating wins. Mm -hmm. I think that really tends to set us apart from people. But what really brings us closer to people, regardless of where you live or how much money you make or what your education is, it's the fact that tragedy happens to all of us, that we've all gone through highs and lows, and we tend only to share the highs as our badge of honors. But what makes those highs so powerful is all the lows we've experienced. And I think more than anything, it is those lows and those tough times and those traumatic experiences that unite us because it humanizes us, all of us. Yes. Yes. I agree. I agree. Okay. Well, let's just rip this bandaid off. What is a low or a struggle that you've experienced that maybe would even, you know, surprise people who only know you for your accolades? The way I grew up was very challenging. Mm -hmm. Uh, My parents were immigrants from China, very poor, not educated. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mother had bound feet she couldn't speak English. And my dad, like I said, peak earning was 16,000. He was an elementary school, had an elementary school education, but he worked like a dog. And then they were brave enough to emigrate to the United States uh, and start a new life for my brothers and sister uh, and I. But there was a huge cost because everything was about survival. Everything was about the bottom line. There was no no element of of softness, of love, of uh, joy. Everything was always stressful. So my uh, parents um, react. They reacted in a way that was abusive. Uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, and I've come to grips with it. Um, They did an incredible job if you measure success on education of the kids and and where they all go. So I, I look at it and I think, wow, I think I'm different, but I think a lot of people go through experiences like this. And to not talk about it is a way to gloss over what makes us so human. Mm, Yes. And two things can be true at the same time where your parents through survival mode 
may not have had the capacity to also share the warmth of love and peace and gentleness and all of that. But also they did through other ways, right? And and I... I've certainly heard stories through, you know, my parents and and even grandparents of the sacrifices that the generations before had to make in order. And I remember this from my grandmother, actually. She would work two jobs. My grandfather also worked two jobs. They had um, seven kids to support. And uh, there was this moment where she was applying for a job and her boss said she would never get it. She would never advance. She will. And Somehow she relayed this message to her kids that it may not be me who advances, but my children will and my grandchildren will. And the thought was through education, which you mentioned, right? It's although they were not able to provide maybe and again, some softer ways as we imagine what parenting you know, would be in a, in a perfect world. <laughs> One of the ways that was very, very important to my grandparents was that their children would have more opportunity because of their education and having that foundation in their eyes would propel them beyond anything that they could experience or, or really achieve for themselves. Uh, that was totally the case in our family. Uh, there are four of us. We all uh, went for master's degrees. We all, you know, made it uh, based upon the the standards that my parents had set out the goals. Mm-hmm. So they did their job. Uh, obviously, here's the rub, though. I, I told you I grew up on television. I grew up watching what the perfect family meant, mm-hmm. right? The perfect family with the white picket fence, with the dog and, you know, two kids and, you know, vacations and love and family meals. And wow, you know, I was living two two worlds, two lives. There was the life that the media presented. And then there was my life. And they, the connection between them just did not exist. Well, when you entered the television world, then did you have a desire to share more of the real story or were you excited to be a part of sharing the narrative that you had hoped for or, or, you know, that you, that we all idolize that we think this is the perfect picture in a box. (laughs) Karen, I wasn't that aware when I, you know, I was still in my own survival mode. So I played the part. I went through the motions. I delivered on what my inner uh, what my fantasies were, what my goals were not, uh, I was, I could never, ever at that time expose me Mm. because I had too much shame about me. Mm -hmm. I could only project what I wanted to project the image that people saw of me. And that was the biggest revelation in my life that, uh, I was living a lie. I was living two worlds and uh, the the more disconnected they are, the more stress that's created, the more emotional imbalance, the more, more dysfunction. Mm. And when did you start to experience that revelation? How did that start to, to come up? Well, you know, I, I ended up uh, about 18 years ago, I got separated from my wife. And, uh, it was 
when I hit rock bottom, you know, my family life fell apart, all based upon my dysfunction. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a good provider. I was, I thought I was a good father. I was a terrible husband. And I, I it's no excuse, but I can explain the behavior now. It's like I was so disconnected from, from me and I had uh, experienced a lot of pain and trauma in my life. And uh, I was just covering that up. Uh, and it impacted my relationships. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to go through Mm -hmm. if you're living with me, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, it's, it was a terrible experience for everybody involved. Uh, and I was the cause of that. So I've taken responsibility for that. And, uh, just sometimes the worst things that happen in your life can turn out to be the greatest blessings. You know, uh, it's just that I was such a coward that it took me so long to be self-aware and to be accountable for my actions, uh, to even recognize the pain and the traumas that I had uh, suffered. I think going back to the root of that is the beginning of healing, knowing that you're not perfect, knowing that nobody's perfect and trying to pretend that you are just creates a greater disconnect than anything in life. Absolutely. You mentioned that you became more self-aware during that time. What insights popped up about yourself that you used as opportunities to heal, if you don't mind sharing? Wow. Uh, It's just looking at the mirror and that if you've hurt somebody or people that badly, you don't want to do that again. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we've all been through scenarios and situations that we regret. I laugh when people say, I have no regrets. Uh, Hmm. Of course I have regrets, but I also know that I'm unable to go back and rewrite history. The only thing I'm capable of doing is rewriting the moment that I'm in and everything that happens going forward. Yes. So, you know, going back to the scene of a car accident in your mind mm-hmm. is something that everybody experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think it's important to understand the trauma and how we can grow from mm-hmm. the negatives in our life. But there are a lot of people who, because I believe the same thing as you, I think I I actually think there are three gifts that come from pain. Um, One is healing. If you go through a painful experience and it gives you an opportunity to heal a part of you that has been wounded, that's a gift. I also think growth is a gift. Uh, Maybe you go through a painful experience and it brings out a different strength in you, or it brings out different interests. And so you continue to grow in new areas. And then there's inspired action where the painful experience that you go through, it transforms into something good that goes beyond you and your life. And it starts to impact the lives of others. And when I think about those, those three gifts, I also know that there are people who will say that the pain is the pain. 
there's no good that could come from this. Wow. And you have a background where you've experienced trauma, you've experienced turmoil, you've been the cause of pain also, as you mentioned in people's lives. So for those who would say pain is pain and no good could come from it, how would you respond to that perspective? Well, there's two sides to it all, okay? The three benefits that you've listed are true, but they're conditional. The condition is you recognize that there was pain. You take responsibility for your part in it. And you also don't take responsibility for things that are out of your control. And I think more than anything, facing up and addressing the traumas and the pains that we've experienced, you have to, in order to heal from it, you have to understand what actually happened and what your role was in it. Some of us play perpetual victim in every scenario, no matter what. Some of us are martyrs and we take the blame for everything. But what I think everybody needs to go through is that self-awareness to say, what is my role in it really? Mm-hmm. And are there any practices that help you to strengthen that self-awareness? Well, for me, uh, you know, I grew up uh, in a family that was Buddhist, but I never practiced. I didn't understand it. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. But I became a Christian eight years ago, eight years ago, around right now. And uh, what that taught me was I'm not in control of the universe. I'm not at the center of the universe. I do not come first at all. There is somebody, a higher power, who is in charge of everything, right? And as soon as I get that responsibility off my shoulders, Mm. it lifts a huge burden. Yeah. Right. And then it is that, that again, is about taking responsibility for my part in it, Mm -hmm. uh, not giving myself too much power or too much wiggle room, Uh, but also understanding that ah, what standard am I following? Nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, having a God that I can lean on and, and talk to that understands that I'm not perfect and accepts me for who I am. And, uh, and that love is number one above all else. Yes. That's pretty powerful. So I think every day I try to be positive. I try to be grateful. I try to be the light. I try to be the beacon on the hill. Uh, I'm terrible at it. I wouldn't go that far, (laughs) but, but I, I try, I try. And that, and that's the most important thing that when I take that attitude, uh, attitude can impact behavior and behavior can impact attitude. Mm -hmm. So it's a dynamic process and, um, we have to be strong enough in our conviction Mm -hmm. to live it each and every day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of that awareness really comes from taking responsibility as you mentioned, but also being aware that everything doesn't revolve around you and your actions, but still just, you know, again, owning that response, 
owning your mindset, owning your choices, owning the way that you, you behave. And if you can do that from a place that also allows you to be human, that like leaves room for those imperfections, I think that's also what creates the unity that we all desire, right? And in the deepest part of our heart, as you mentioned, love above all things, we all want that because love really does connect us to one another. Well, I, I laugh because uh, it's Maslow's hierarchy, right? What do we need? Love is at the top. When you when you have a full belly and you have a roof over your home, you know, those things are taken care of. I was raised where, wow, where's the next dollar going to come from? Where's the next meal going to come from? There was no ability or time or luxury to think about love. Mm. Right. So it was very about survival. It was a little bit selfish. It's like, what's in it for us? Let's let's keep what we can. Right. And it ended up planting a seed in me, which is about take care of me first. Mm. And that that breeds selfishness Mm -hmm. and entitlement. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Now. When you're just trying to survive, taking care of yourself, I can understand that. But, you know, I graduated college. I got an MBA. It was no longer about survival. But in my mind, I was trained that you're always in survival mode. You always have to look out after yourself. And I don't know if that's who I really am. Because I feel like I, I, I feel like my heart bleeds. So I've turned my life or tried to turn my life upside down where it's no longer about what, what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. And it's more about what can I do for others? And it's, it just brings me so much more joy and satisfaction yeah. than, than hoarding yes. everything for myself. I, interestingly enough, there was a study that was done, a scientific study that showed that at the cellular level, a cell is either in one of two modes, survival or growth. It cannot be in both at the same time. So if we think about this at a cellular level, that you can only be one or the other, which obviously then that translates to us, right? It would make sense that to me, I envision, I'm a very visual person. So it starts to like create this picture in my mind that when you're in survival mode, as you mentioned, you're kind of holding on to everything, which then your body to me in my mind sees like closed off, right? Cause you're trying to hold on to everything. However, when you're in growth, then you're more expansive. What else is expansive? Joy, love, peace, all of those things. I love seeing how science translates to these spiritual experiences. And we, I feel very fortunate to live during a time where we are learning more about this and we can connect uh, science to even this oneness that connects all of us. But when I saw that study, I thought how interesting that even our cells are even in, are in one of two modes and you cannot be in both. It's beautiful. I love that. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense how internally you would feel it's not it's not a survival anymore. It's this other and this other space is actually more expansive. It's you're you are a living testament. <laughs> 
to something that I just, you know, stumbled on in the last month that I was so fascinated by. And I just kept thinking, man, I feel like I embody this. I can understand that because after losing my husband and going through all of those different challenges, I absolutely was in survival mode. I was not thinking about growth. I was not thinking about you know, being expansive. It's even the difference between a scarcity mindset and a, an abundant mindset. Right, right. Right. And so when you can see this just in so many different storylines, I, it, it encourages me to really release that survival mode because I know for a fact that I cannot be in both. And so I want to live fully in that growth space. So it's funny because you and Dr. Eugene, are in fields that help to empower people, that um, bring out the best, uh, help establish life goals. Mm -hmm. So you're unusual in that you're, what you do professionally is also in that growth mindset. And it's also caring for and giving back to other people. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't it be great if all of us could pursue jobs that also had this light to it all. Yes. But unfortunately, a lot of us don't have jobs like that. So we have to find that nourishment elsewhere. Mm. We need to find that nourishment each and every day in the darkness mm -hmm. and try to provide that kind of light. I mean, imagine working on Wall Street mm -hmm. where everything is me, 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 taking, making the most mm -hmm. and maintaining this, this positivity. Yeah. This hopeful kind of spirit and one that is uh, of more expansive and not just focused on a, a singular measure of on a, a transaction. Correct. That's right. Correct. Now, Hollywood, you know, for is glitz and glamour for most folks, right? But the reality is it's also very cutthroat. It's also, it's a harsh world. Were you in the space of healing and transformation while you were also still, you know, working as an executive or, or producer in entertainment? Or did that start to also happen afterwards? I'm, I'm just wondering, like, can those, obviously they can be true at the same time, but how did that play out in your life? Uh, so I've really transitioned to, doing much of my work in the world of technology and commerce. Mm -hmm. And much of my healing has taken place after I transitioned away from Hollywood. Mm. The way I look at Hollywood is, is I understand the glitz and glamour of it all. For me, it was none of that. You know, it was, it was empowering in that I got to enjoy uh, and, and work on things that were part of my daily passions, you know, that was the wonderful thing. Then the work process itself of developing stories and working with writers mm -hmm. that there's so much joy in that. I mean, God created us, the, our creator created us to be creative. Yes. So every day at my work, I could create and be creative. And that was the energy that I absolutely loved. Is that your enjoyed. flow zone, as we like to call it, the oh, space you're yeah. in flow? <laughs> but, but also, even in the world of technology and commerce, 
creating business opportunities and empowering founders to dream big and and to go where they've never thought of going before that's that that's gets me really excited to just help people become everything that they're supposed to be and it's a way of of giving back while also doing what i am placed on this earth to do that's how i justify it yeah well speaking of i know you're a mentor to many what is a lesson that you share uh, to individuals who come to you founders maybe who you work with or again mentees who you work with what is a lesson that you share with all of them not just for their personal success but i know that it feels like now that you also speak to their personal and professional (laughs) i think the biggest thing i tell people is the greatest obstacle that any of us ever face in life, in relationship, in work, in our dreams. The largest obstacle happens between our two ears, that we are the biggest barrier, that self-doubt, that feeling of not being worthy enough, that is the biggest impediment. I laugh at, you know, my, I wear it as a badge of honor that, this, this guy told me to go to Harvard Business School because I didn't let that stop me. How was I going to get into Harvard Business School? I, I figured out a way, but I did it. And I then looked back at my parents. How could two Chinese with no education know enough to move from China to the U.S. to give their kids a future and make it work on no money. Mm-hmm. It's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. They never thought of what's not possible. They yeah. only went for what they thought had to happen, which was something that was possible. So, you know, I, I get my resilience from my parents. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I also got some other things from them, but it's all a gift. It really is. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that piece of advice with our listeners. So much wisdom. I I love everything that you are doing and and not because of, you know, in the profession, um, but because of the person that you are. And thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom here. As I'm thinking about this, there are certainly going to be people who are very interested. I know I am like NFT what? Give us a high view uh, of the work that you're doing today that is bringing you joy. Well, I I always like being at the cutting edge of whatever's happening. Um, you know, the being a baby boomer, I was very fortunate to be in Hollywood at the time that Hollywood was really taking off. I was part of this convergence with the emergence of VHS and DVDs, and and now we're we're talking about AI and mobile. Look, the world is changing so quickly. And there's one thing that I know is that people resist change. They bury their heads. They want what's familiar, but change is inevitable. And the world of Web3 is going to be on us quicker than we all realize. If you go back in time, you remember when people said, Women will never buy clothes online. They have to go in and change and wear and all this stuff. It's just going to change and things are going to happen quickly. So NFTs have gotten such a bad name because 
for me, they're a game of musical chairs. They're a bunch of people who are uh, writing their own rules and they're trading it back and forth and they're making a lot of money, but then somebody's left holding the bag. It's all about speculation and you never want to rob anybody of their ability or dream to get rich quick, but I don't believe in getting rich quick. Uh, our approach is that the technology that underlies uh, blockchain and crypto and NFTs is game-changing, that it takes out the middleman and it gives the power back to the people and the community, right? And uh, so what we, my company does is we we look at it from that aspect of community rewards, benefits, access. And we think that the way to really have change happen to the mainstream is not by building the next board apes or doodles or this pixelated art, but tapping into communities that are already there, whether it's K-pop or sports teams or movie studios, it's or consumer brands. So we just make this technology and this change feel simple, secure, and social. Mm -hmm. We remove the friction. We remove the crazy language. The focus is not on the technology. The focus is on the content. The focus is on the brand. The focus is on what consumers are already interested in. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we try to make it simple for them. And so we were very fortunate to work with Mattel and Barbie and then also with Balmon and uh, that relationship continues. So um, we are, uh, we're putting our heads down and, and trying to make it all happen. We're living through a crypto winter, a bleak period, but I honestly believe we're making lemons into lemonade that, uh, that it's the best time to build. And by the time we come out of this dark period, hopefully we'll be stronger and we'll be ready. Absolutely. Well, I have no doubt whatever space you are in, Teddy, you are going to bring that human element. So thank you again for the work that you're doing. Thank you for being the light and for sharing so much wisdom on today's episode. I appreciate you. Thank you, Karen. Appreciate you too. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.